In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we're going to start chapter 17 and hopefully 18. But before we do that, let's go again over the big picture. Where are we? What have we covered so far? What are we doing? And so on. So if we look quickly over the Revelation, again, the first chapter is St. John. It describes where he is, what kind of vision he saw. The next two chapters, two and three, the seven churches. We talk about the various churches that were in Asia Minor, and we said that these represent the church throughout history, or my spiritual life and my spiritual status in particular. The church in Greece? In Asia Minor. Oh, Asia Minor. This is Turkey today. Yeah. Not necessarily Greece, on the other side of Greece, Turkey. The, the second vision in chapter 4, he starts by you know, being in the spirit and another, you know, another time, a higher level where this time he is taken up to heaven where he sees the throne and he sees you know God in his glory and everyone around him and he describes the 24 uh, priests and the four uh, creatures worshipping God and the circles are worshipping God and so on uh, very nice are those the four creatures that are identified by the gospels we, no, yes we went through that yeah, yeah. yeah. it's longer uh, long uh, discussion yeah yeah, yeah. they're the ones that are above the altar they yes the corporate beast, yes the corporate beast, yes chapter 5 we start the sealed book uh, St. John saw a sealed book next to the Lord uh, sitting on his throne he was wondering what the sealed book and then we said this might be the names of people who uh, are going to go to heaven their name is written to go to heaven this might be the Bible and the Old and New Testament it might be God's judgment Maybe all of these combined, uh, or something different. But this is our understanding of what what the Father said about the sealed book. And then um, start seeing the Lord opening every seal separate, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. And then we saw uh, at one time the Lord stops the events and said, "Let's seal those who are uh, for God." Uh, and we counted them 144,000 and we said that this is a symbolic number because at the same time he said that no one can count right. so it's, it cannot be 144,000 because no one can count you can count 144,000 easily and he counted them so but we said that they are just a symbolic number represents 12 for the Old Testament 12 for the New Testament God's people in the Old Testament God's people in the New Testament times a thousand which is the heavenly uh, number. So that's what we come with 144,000. Again, all these in the previous lectures, you know, you can look at the files, you can listen to the uh, audio later on. And after that, chapters 8 and 9, the seven trumpets, as you can see, number 7, and 7 you know, sets is repeated. So this is the third seventh, uh, the seven trumpets, and more warnings, an intense warning at the end. And I also said that these can, you know, the seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven, you know, vials and all that can be repeating the same thing, description of the same thing in different kind of detail under different lights or it starts with the big picture and then focus on smaller events uh, toward the end of the work. Uh, so chapter 10, which is a little bit mysterious chapter, there were thunders, but God told him, do not write it. So we don't know what, what are these thunders did or what did they say. Uh, and God told him not to say anything and not to write it. 
who chose the, what's written in this book is for a purpose and by will of God. It's not just a random thing. God intended for this to be written in a specific way. At the beginning, we saw him telling John, write as you see. And when it came to chapter 10, he told him, hold on, don't write. Because this is meant to be a secret. Um, and then chapter 11, we started talking about the two witnesses, that Enoch and Elijah. And uh, chapter 12, which is an important chapter because it relates to what we're going to cover today. Uh, the woman who was close with the sun and uh, had the 12 stars and under her feet is the moon and gave birth to a child that was to rule the nations. And then uh, the dragon that came to eat the child who said that this is the church of both the Old Testament and the New Testament and gave birth to the child which is you know the Lord Jesus Christ and the under the feet is you know can be the faithful or the martyrs that gave their life uh, under the feet of the church and the, the dragon or the beast that we see in chapter 12 which is the first beast mentioned is the devil himself uh, in chapter 13 the first introduction to the Antichrist and the number 666. Which which chapter has the first 13. Okay. If you notice, you know, 13. Right. And the Antichrist. <laughs> I don't know whether it's related or not. Uh, this is why people don't like the number 13. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so chapter 13 talks about the Antichrist, which is a dragon from the sea, and the false prophet, which is the dragon of the earth, that's going to be preaching for the Antichrist. Okay. Uh, chapter, you know, every time we see uh, a, a harsh or strong scene that's, you know, may scare us or may get us worried or concerned, immediately the Lord shows us something very comforting and very assuring so that we're not scared and we, we know that He is in control and He's going to be taking care of us even in the midst of the most difficult problem. So, uh, immediately after when we see the dragon you know, and so on, we come and see the Lamb, the Lord Jesus in, and His people standing around Him, surrounding Him and He is taking care of them and after that we start uh, in chapter 16 we see something, you know, the vials which is like small bowls that, you know, filled with the Lord's anger and thrown on the Word and we covered that last week Today, God's willing, will cover the judgment of Babylon and the destruction of Babylon and will say who is Babylon and what it is and so on in 17 and 18. And then we'll start getting into the final chapters, the marriage of, you know, Supper of the Lamb and uh, chapter 20, tying the devil for a thousand years and then the heavenly Jerusalem. So we have like two or three more sessions we'll finish, you know, Revelation, God's willing. So this is the major events, seven churches, again, seven seals can be the same, similar, you know, covering the same period as seven churches, or can be a smaller period at the end, or somewhere else, uh, but most of the fathers think that this is sort of the same thing being repeated again. And then the seventh seal, you stop and you introduce the seven trumpets, and after the seven trumpets, the seven vials and so on. Okay? Is that a good enough summary? Mm. Right. These are different description of the what are the seeds and so on, and we'll get to them later on. Right. So let's start in today's chapter, chapter 17, 
and 18. They're very quick chapters, so we'll go through them hopefully quickly. So let's read them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Can I read? That's 16. Uh, sorry. Click the wrong one. And one of the seven angels who had the seven vials came and talked with me, saying to me, Come here. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot sitting on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and became drunk with the wine of her fornication, those inhabiting the earth. And he carried me away into a desert by the Spirit. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet-colored beast, with of blasphemy, having seven heads and, and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and she was gilded with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon, the Great, the Mother of Harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of saints and with the blood of martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with a great marveling. And the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, that has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to ascend out of the abyss and go into perdition. And those dwelling on the earth will marvel. Those whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when, when they behold, behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which, was, which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings. Five have fallen and one is, one is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seventh, and goes into perdition. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom yet, but will receive authority as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those with him are called the elect and faithful ones. And he says to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot, where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked. And they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God gave into their hearts to do the, his mind and to act with one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is the great city which has a kingdom over the kings of earth. Glory be to Father. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Okay. So let's look at this from the beginning and see what does it mean and explain some of the things if we can a little bit. First, what is Babylon? Uh, if we go back to Genesis chapter 10, we see that Babylon was the city founded by Nimrod. And he said that he is mighty, you know, in the presence of God. And he was, you know, he was trying to be strong and he was trying to be you know, rebellious. And he's the, you know, his descendant built Babylon. And this is where they wanted to build a tower to reach God. Uh, so God wouldn't drown them again. Mm-hmm. And God came and, you know, Babel their, their names. So maybe that's what the name Babylon came from, from you know, Babel. Babylon their languages or names? Change you know, mix that, mixed up the languages so they were speaking different languages. Again, that's you know, Genesis chapter ten. Uh, so, 
in general, in the Bible, if you look at it from the beginning to the end, uh, there's several cities or several nations that represent different things. Jerusalem is always, this is the place where God lives with his people. Uh, Babylon is the rebellious, is where Satan is, and it's always against God. Egypt is arrogance and pride. Uh, and, you know, things of that nature. When we go study the Old Testament, we'll find a lot of these descriptions and we'll understand them in detail. So, Babylon, especially in the book of Revelation, represents the kingdom of the Antichrist. It's not necessarily going to be, you know, Iraq or Iran or it's in that place. No. It's where the Antichrist will rule, where all the corruption is going to be. And we see the description, you know, the great hall of uh, corruption, you know, probably homosexuality, you know, all the all the bad stuff, drugs, addiction, everything is going to be happening there. So we also look at it as any soul that is against God is considered like a Babylon. God cannot trust there. Any soul that is a place where God can come and dwell in is like a Jerusalem. So that's a meditation on on the side. First verse, and one of the seven angels who had seven vials came and talked to me with me, saying to me, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot sitting on many waters. I'm sure when St. John was seeing all these vials being thrown and people are still rebelling, still against God and so on, he was wondering what, why and so on. So the angel was explaining to him, Why is God allowing this to happen? Why all this destruction that's going to take place on earth? These are not righteous people that are being, you know, punished. And as we said last time, punishment is not for the sake of punishment. Uh, if we go back to chapter 16, we'll find that, you know, the Lord's main intention is for pe- these people to repent. And not just to keep punishing and that's it. No, the main goal is a warning sign and, you know, uh, a call for repentance. So, we... We'll, since the beginning of the book of Revelation, we find that the heavenly always come and help us explain to St. John and explain to us what does God mean, why does God, why is God doing all these things. We saw an angel telling St. John about the book and, you know, about the people who are victorious and, you know, find them a lot being involved with St. John explaining to him and comforting him and letting him know what's going on. Same thing, here, one of the angels that poured those vials came and talked to St. John. This shows us that these angels have nothing against us. They don't hate us. On the contrary, they only hate sin. They love us, but they hate sin. He doesn't mind, and he would love to be able to help us and take care of us and, you know, let us know who God is and God's will. But at the same time, he will execute God's commandment on the unrighteous and punish them. Okay. So, when you see the father of the church being nice and kind and everything, but at the same time when they punish somebody from, from the church, don't say, where is mercy? How come you guys are not merciful? You know, And all these stories are being said. Now here we see the same angel who punishes, the same angel who comes and explains and you know takes care of St. John. Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot sitting on many waters. Again, uh, harlot is a very strong description. And the Lord did use very strong languages before. If you go back, for example, to Ezekiel, uh, 
there were a lot of, you know, actually something taken against the Bible. When the Lord described Judah and, you know, Samurai, He described them as two sisters who committed adultery. And it's a very strong language that was used in that chapter. Uh, but this shows also the intense of the crime and how bad it is sin in the eyes of God. Uh, and many waters in chapter, in verse 15, it's explained later on that there are many people and usually water represents sources of wealth and sources of, you know, richness. Okay. Verse 2, With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and became drunk with the wine of her fornication and those inhabiting the earth. Uh, king of the earth, it can be really the kings. Uh, the kings are all, more, almost likely or most likely will be indulging themselves <laughs> than other people. They, don't, they forget the, the sword that's hanging over their head, so they spend a life being indulged. Or it can be you and I. Remember when, what did God say about his people? I made them kings and priests. So these are not just, uh, uh, the, you know, cannot only be the kings of the world, but can also be anybody who thinks that he is owning the world and he is living and enjoying the world with all its, you know, pleasures and he feels that he's, he's a king I drive a nice car you know I, uh, I do this I do that I you know enjoy myself I have the, all the pleasures I want regardless of whether they're right or wrong I'm a king right so these can be this can be you know a sign of those people who think themselves owning the world uh, but the, at the same time, we find that committing fornication and it's co- considered to be adultery. Uh, anybody knows why? Why is sin considered to be adultery? Not physical adultery, spiritual adultery. There's no why. Is it like when you lost with your eyes or something? Like, it's considered adultery? No. Well, yes, but w- for example, love and money. Why is that considered adultery? Stealing, uh, killing. Adultery implies that you betrayed someone, betrayed your spouse. Exactly. In okay. In this case, you betrayed God. Exactly. Very good. Saint Paul says that we are what? We are you know, Christ. You know, bride. You know, groom. Right. Uh, I'm sorry, bride. We are Christ's bride, and he. You know, who sort of engaged us or betrothed us to to Christ. So we're supposed to be His bride, and He has offered us everything. He has given us everything. He created the world for us. He even died for us to give us salvation. He gives us everything we ask for. So what does it mean when we turn our back to Him and goes and asks for worldly pleasure from Satan, and we follow Satan? Right. It's like a woman who is married and then she goes to the neighbor and asks him to come and cut the grass and while her husband is sitting there in front of her, she goes and asks him for help to do things for her. It infuriates the husband. It drives him crazy. Why I'm here, I'm your husband, I'm going to do anything you ask me for, why do you go and ask other people? It's the same thing with God. He loves us. And we're supposed to be, you know, loving him. But at the same time, we leave him and we go ask favors from the devil. He considered that as adultery and as fornication. And you go back to the Old Testament, 
Ezekiel and you know all these uh, prophets that's how God you know and we went to one of the prophets I remember when we talked in Genesis once one of the prophets uh, God told him go and get married to basically a harlot and I feel how bad it's going to be and a whore yeah uh, a professional <laughs> okay uh, so he went and married her and he was feeling so bad and so embarrassed the Lord told him see this is how I feel being you know, attached to you being my name being called on you because you leave me and you go worship other idols and go after other you know, after your lust and you leave me uh, alone and don't come to worship me this is how bad it feels and he carried me away in a de- into a desert by the spirit and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast filled with names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns um, taken away into a desert if we go back to chapter 12 in chapter 12 we find the church the bride of Christ the church being taken away to the desert, a specific desert. Here it's in a desert, which means that the world, all the whole world, that you know, following her and living, you know, in, in sin with her, it's a desert. They feel it's, you know, they think it's luxurious. They think it's, you know, uh, five stars and and everything. In reality, it's a desert. Okay? And the desert can have different meanings. For the bride of Christ, it's a way of, you know, ascetic life, it's protection from the evil and so on. And But here it means, you know, no water, no vegetation, no life, and horrible. And I saw the woman sitting on a scarlet colored beast. That beast who has seven heads and ten horns, again, it's the same beast of chapter 12. And this is, we call this is the devil. So whoever moves this woman... Babylon, the spouse of the devil, is the devil himself. When he's sitting on a horse and the horse moves around, you'll go wherever the horse goes. Right? Mm. So she's sitting on the beast and the beast is controlling her. That's the devil. It's scarlet color, you know, color you know, of blood, which is the name of, uh, of the many people he killed and the martyrs that he killed. Uh, names of blasphemy. Again, the main purpose of the devil and those who follow him is to destroy the image of God and make people stray away from God. Uh, having seven heads and ten horns, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and she was gilded with gold and precious stones and pearls, having golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness, filthiness of her fornication. Here we find that the woman, again, the woman of chapter 12, was what? Was covered by the sun. The Lord Jesus Christ was covering her. Here, because this woman is filthy and ugly and full of our nation, it has to cover herself with pretty dress and gold and makeup and, and all these fancy stuff. That's how sin is. Abortion is called freedom of choice. right? Gays and lesbians are called lifestyle, right? 
uh, atheism is called freedom of uh, speech and you know new age movement you know alternative religions all nice names if you hear the second part is you know it's a very nice name freedom of choice you know uh, and everything that you know sounds nice is attributed you know uh, to these sins but in reality they're ugly and they're bad is there any uh, uh, interpretation of the color purple? Like yes, purple and scarlet are the colors of kings. Yeah. That what you know, the kings wear purple and scarlet. So again, this woman is trying to give the impression that or Babylon or the Satan is trying to give the impression that he is the ruler of the earth. Follow me and make you kings. I'll let you enjoy it. Right? You hear a lot about the young men who go, you know, to go to college and you know and start college life and become lost in sin and you know adultery and drunkness and, and all these things they're doing everything they want they're, they're kings right why stop them they're kings but they don't realize what's going to happen at the end which is the filthiness and you know the destruction that happens to the soul from from within from following the sin and again the gold uh, pretends to be holy again all and a lot of the times gold represents holiness so may give impression of knowing spirituality and so on but in the, her reality is that her hand a cup full of abominations and filthiness and notice that the Lord puts fornication and filthiness together so if you look at our culture today and our society that we're living in how does the Lord see the world today So we're not saying anything, we're not inventing anything, we're just trying to capture what the Bible is saying. Which means that if a person is involved in that sin, it's a, bad, it's, a, it's a problem. And on her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. In the old days, they say, in, you know, during the Roman, Roman empires, and actually if you go to Holland today, uh, these type of people will have, you know, write their name on their outside or will have a stamp on their bodies, you know, for health reasons. Uh, in Holland, they stamp these people with a special stamp, so it's obvious on their body, so they, you know, people know that these are healthy or unhealthy because they have to get a license and, you know, to practice these, so they check them from diseases and so on, so they don't spread diseases. So they sort of declare their their status uh, officially. Uh, so the, you know here this woman, uh, of course she follows you know she's the devil's spouse, so she's not ashamed of her actions. She's not ashamed to be announcing her sin to everyone in the world. And today we see that happening a lot. A lot of people, you know, call it coming out of the closet trying to. Right. Uh, they're not they're not being ashamed anymore which means that sin has reached a level that's really bad with these people not with everyone but with these people who really it's like Lazarus remember the story of Lazarus you know when the fathers represents three you know the three deaths that the Lord raised from the dead uh, Jairus daughter that was inside the house did not leave the house uh, uh, the son of the widow of Nain was going outside and Lazarus 
who's dead and buried and who's rotten. Right? So now it's outside, they're not embarrassed anymore. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Despite the nice appearance she's trying to, to you know, to get by the gold and the scarlet uh, clothes and uh, the pearls and everything, her reality is vicious and thirsty for blood. Do you guys see the movie the Narnia? Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia. No, but I heard it's like symbolically, right, like Trinity and stuff like that. Not Trinity, no, symbolically it's. God or something. Called the Narnia. Narnia. Chronicles. Chronicles of Narnia. It's in a very nice movie. Really? Yeah. That explains the story of salvation in nice way. Yeah, it explains the story of salvation in a nice way. It's a token kids. animal. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the witch of the of the north is Babylon. <laughs> Her attitude can be explained here easily. If they would have done a couple of more scenes to present to show her filthiness, would have been a lot greater. But you know, they show her from the outside nice and smooth, and again well dressed and decorated. But she's vicious and you know kills people, uh, very murderous. That's sin is. Sin from the outside is attractive and nice, but it's, it's a murder. Uh, and when I saw her, I marveled with great marveling. I guess he was marveling why people are following her if she's that filthy, if she's that disgusting. How come people are following her? But again, people look at the outside of sin and they meet, you know, instantaneous pleasure they would get and they follow her and they forget what's going to happen afterwards. The devil only lets you be focused on the short-term benefit of sin. And he will always lie about the long-term consequences. Always. So people end up committing the sin, and who cares? The child comes, abortion, and sin follows sin, and so on. The beast that you saw was... I'm sorry. Uh, and the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her and that has seven heads and ten horns. Right? Again, this is the same beast that we saw in chapter 12 and we said that this is the devil. It's not the, the anti-Christ. Uh, uh, if we go back to 12.3... And another sign was seen in heavens, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. That was chapter 12, back to chapter 17. Okay. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to ascend out of the abyss. What does that mean? He was and is not and is about to ascend out of the abyss. Well, we're going to need some references here. So let's jump to the, fi- the fifth trumpet. Let's see what this is, abyss thing is all about. And the fifth angel, this is Revelation 9.1. And the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from the heaven to the earth and it was given the key of the abyss. 
and it opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit and out of the smoke of the pit came locusts and so on right? so this is the first mention of the, the abyss and the form to abyss so are these two events related? maybe uh, we don't know in chapter 20 fast forward chapter 20 uh, verse 1 and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon and oh, the, uh, that old serpent who is the devil and Satan so that's an explanation and bound him a thousand years and he cast him into the abyss and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little time so we'll go back to chapter 17 and try so to get these two together is after the thousand years that's the Antichrist is going to come? no let, let's leave the thousand years out of the picture a little bit okay. let's leave the thousand years out of the picture so thousand years you know we'll go to there in, in great depth but in general um, the thousand year is the period from the cross until the Satan is going to let loose, you know, close to the end of the days. And we're going to explain why, and we're going to prove from the Bible why it is started from the time Jesus was crucified. Okay. So at the end, Satan is going to be let loose, coming out of the abyss to deceive the, the people. So. If we look at him now, and the beast that you saw was, right? the devil was in full control and was running loose before Christ's coming, and is, and is not, and is not. Why? Because he was bound by Christ at the cross. Right? Oh, um, is that like when it goes like this? That's when he no, when Abu was like this, he said he descended into Hades, yeah. to the cross. Yeah. He makes the sign of the cross, yeah. and then he, he, you know, he descends to the Hades. No, this is the bound by the cross. I mean, again, there's several things in the Bible we have to put together. Um, inshallah, and maybe next, hopefully next week, we'll we'll try to cover a lot of these uh, these things about specifically about the millennium reign because this is. All these things are key to the millennium reign. So I don't want to distract us, you know, by, by talking about that. But again, the Lord says that, you know, a, a strong man cannot, you know, steal a strong man's possession. A person cannot steal a strong man's possession until he ties him first. So the Lord went in and, you know, took out all the righteous, you know, souls. So he had to tie the devil first to take out the righteous people's souls. And so these are some of the things that we say that that's why the devil was tied by the cross uh, and that's why he's not right now and he's about to ascend out of the abyss that explains chapter 20 mm-hmm. when he's being loose you know for a thousand years after a thousand years he's going to let be out of the, of the abyss after a thousand years symbolic thousand years not actual symbolic times we don't know might be 10,000 might be 2,000 might be 5,000 we don't know so he's bound Right now he's bound. He's bound by the cross. Yeah, we we all we all right now have the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and every power of the enemy. God gave us that authority, right? Uh, People don't worship idols 
you know, most, majority of the world publicly. Right? Uh, at the old days, people used to worship the idols, used to sacrifice, you know, to the idols, used to do all sort of, you know, bad stuff until really Christ bound him, and the world was cleansed a little bit. Right? right now, you can think of the devil as a mad dog tied with a chain. Right. Right? As long as you stay away from him, he cannot harm you. When you go to him and pet him, he's going to bite you. So he tries to lure people by these, you know, gold and pearls and everything that, you know, Babylon is dressed with. So people will go there and then he'll devour them and he'll attack them. That's the game that he plays. But as long as we stay away from that, and we're going to see later on in chapter 18 what the Lord you know, tells us, get out of this, you know, place. We have nothing to do with them. Even if he gets going to lose, it's not going to affect us. But again, but the devil was, now is bound, so he's not, and he's going to be let loose again, and is about to ascend out of the abyss and go into the perdition. So before he's, he's vanished, before he goes to eternal hell, he's going to be out for a little bit. And those dwelling on the earth will marvel, and those, and those whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And they behold the beast that was and is not and is yet. Of course, when people see the, the, the power of the devil, they're going to be amazed. When the Antichrist is going to be coming with the full power of the devil, people are going to be amazed. Right? He's going to perform wondrous miracles. I remember Pharaoh's uh, magicians performed wonder, wonderful miracles. And any, any satanic person can perform miracles. But they're not true events. They're not true miracles. Right? It can fool people easily. Okay? When people mumble, you know, think they're speaking with tongues and say things that nobody understands, not even them understand, they're amazed by themselves. They think this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not. Right? When you know people follow the gurus and whatever, and give all their life and all their money to those gurus, and not to be thieves and robbers and all that, they're just amazed of the ability of these strong intellectual people. Anyway, so people will be amazed. Okay, and here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Some people took this and they said Rome was built on seven mountains. In reality, Romulus, when he built Rome, it was on seven mountains. So they said, oh, this represents Rome. So Babylon is Rome. So the Antichrist is, is going to be the Pope of Rome. Right? We don't believe in that. Uh, again, seven mountains like seven strong nations on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. So these seven mountains, or these seven kings, are the kingdoms that persecuted God's people. The number seven is a con- you know, complete number. So it can be all the kingdoms that will persecute God's people. We can name seven of, you know, we can name seven, I'm going to do that right now. But in general, we should look at it, you know, the number seven always represents a complete number. So the seven kings that persecuted the church, 
throughout history is a complete number it's going to be full persecution of the church throughout history from Cain and Abel until the second coming because you can think that Abel was persecuted by Cain God's people persecuted by the devil's people so who are those five that five have fallen if we count the five that have fallen count Egypt that persecuted the Jews and enslaved them Right? and resisted them being fleed. Uh, Assyria uh, destroyed the ten tribes of uh, Israel. Babylon captured Jerusalem, captured, you know, captured the, uh, the Jews. Uh, Persia continued the process. Greece was also occupied this whole area. These are five nations. If you go back to the book of Daniel and look at the prophecy of Daniel and the statue and the monsters and so on, he'll talk about Persia. Babylon is the head of the statue, which is that's what, because that's when he was giving his uh, he saw uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw the vision. But afterwards, the monsters that he see the lion and the, the bear and you know the tiger and all that are Babylon. Uh, Assyria, Greece. And then the next one that is now, and one is, which is the time that St. John was alive and was seeing this vision. Which kingdom was persecuting the Christian and was during the time of St. John? The Romans. And the Romans ruled the world for like four or five hundred years. And that was the kingdom that is at that time and then the seventh kingdom people look at that as the heresies that persecuted the church like including the Arabs including all these heresies that are you know the Aryan heresies that attacked the church and you know persecuted the church and look at the description of the seventh the other has not yet come and when he comes he must continue for a short time if you consider the Arabs as you know part of the seventh Months. They've been around for 1400 years. And that's still a short time. <laughs> Hopefully it ends soon. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth. So the devil is going to be the eighth kingdom, which is the kingdom of the Antichrist. And is of the seven, is one of the seven, so he's the same style as the seven. Or he's going to be representing all the persecution of the seven kingdoms before him to God's people in one kingdom. So if you look at the Egyptians, what they did, enslaved you know, God's people, didn't give them the freedom. The Assyrians, you know, they destroyed ten tribes, and so on and so on. The eighth kingdom is going to be doing all those seven things. And it's going to have the strength of all the seven kingdoms, you know, to, to, to war against the church and goes into perdition and that eighth kingdom is going to be the last one because it's going to go into destruction at the end so, so the Arabs are the seven a lot of the, the people a lot of people would tend to say that this is you know the seventh is the Ary, Aryan and so on Aryan heresies and all that and we all know that Islam is, you know, is basically nothing but 
part of this heresy, or an extension to that heresy, modification to it. Because they don't believe that Christ is God. Yeah, he's a great guy and everything, and you know, he was born from Virgin Mary and you know, all these things. But he's not he's not God. So that's the code name for the Islam. In general, it's after the Roman Empire, the church has been persecuted by heresies, whether these heresies are religious or atheist, like what happened, for example, with communist rule, or with right now what's happening with the left-wing uh, ideal, you know, ideology attacking the church and you know attacking everybody in the West, in Europe. It's all atheism, you know, prevailing right now. And it's becoming the major religion of the world. Like, for example, the European Union, when it was declared, did not have any mention of God. The United States, when it declared things, you know, it started, you know, in the name of God. Maybe they didn't say who God is, but they said they believed in a God. The European Union had no mention of God in the Constitution or anything that they are doing which was a big swing between Europe hundreds of years ago and Europe now. And some people go back and say, well, you know, right now uh, religion is a private thing and, you know, it's not really, not should be not mentioned in public, people still go to churches, you know, and so on, but if you really, you know, again, believe in Christ, you should, you should witness to him in your life and if people are not going to mention God in their daily life God's not going to mention them in the, you know so you think that's a sin not to mention God uh, we you know we should we should attribute all everything to God I mean you know why don't we say thank God how are you doing you know here great yeah but who made you great why you be you know, why do you feel great? Isn't that from God's blessings? So why don't I mention God's, you know Yeah, thank God, why not? Why not? I think maybe cultures are different. Because my roommate he's Spanish and he's in the Dominican Republic, they all say that. Thank God, you know, everything this thank God. Yeah, so but again in, in Germany they say Gustav, which you know uh, like thank God and so on. Uh, but do they mean it? Or just a word, like we say it in Arabic, Alhamdulillah, but we don't really, when we mention the name of God, we really think of God. But here is the challenge for us, because it's not part of the culture, and we have to force ourselves to say, yeah, thank God, and you know, know when to insert God's name in there. We're going to say it out of faith and out of willingness, and not just part of normal speech. When you sneeze, I'm sure... Oh, but, yeah, but do you mean that really yeah. God bless you? Or we just we all say it. It's good. I'm not saying we don't say it, right? But we should really think about when we say God's name that He is there and you know His power, right? Uh, and the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom yet, but will receive authority as kings one hour with the beast. So. Again, there are going to be ten kings at the time of the end who give their power to the Antichrist. And when I see those t- ten kings, 
turn again against the Antichrist and against his kingdom and destroy it. Um, but we'll receive authority as kings one hour with the beast. Again, people who think they they're aligning with the word and the devil, they think they're going to have enjoyment forever. In reality, it's just a short period of time in God's eye. Those have one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are the called and elect and faithful ones. Faithful ones. Despite the difficulties. Despite the gold and the pearls and you know the nice appearance of Babylon. Despite all these things, they are faithful to God. They, they do not follow him. I hope we're one of those, those people. Uh, and he says to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So that explains itself. Right? All those who follow the, the earthly pleasure from all types sort of, you know, and walks of life. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the hull. Wait a minute. Just in verse 12, St. John you know, was saying, uh, but we receive authority as kings one hour with the beast. And now he's saying, uh, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked, and they will eat her flesh and burn her fire. You know what? When, when thieves are together, they always end up what? Fighting. Right? Uh, this is the same thing. God is going to let the devil think that he is getting his way around. So maybe, maybe what's going to happen is that the Antichrist is going to come and ten kings are going to declare alliance to him. And then something is going to happen that those same ten kings are going to turn against him and have a war with him and fight with him and it's going to end up to be a destruction of the kingdom of the Antichrist. Maybe. But the devil, God always let the devil does things that the devil thinks this is the way of victory. But God turns it the other way into his favor. For example, when Job you know, was feeling that he's good, God allowed the devil to attack him. The devil thought that he is a, doing a great job. He's destroying this God Job, right? And he's beating him up. And he's going to win. But the Lord was doing that for a purpose... So Job can repent and can identify his weakness. And then God intervened in the proper time and turned things around. The biggest one. He is a righteous man going around healing sick people, you know, raising the dead. Can't get him to commit any sin. Right? Let's kill him. Right? They killed him, crucified him, put him on the cross. And when he died... He tied the devil and he overcame death and resurrected and he gave us life afterwards. So up until the cross, who do you think was winning? Devil. Was that was God's permission? Yeah. God hid himself from the from the devil and the devil was confused about who this God is. And that's why until the last minute, if you're Christ, come down, show us who you are. 
because he couldn't think that God can be that humble and takes the shape of a man or can be that humble and be kicked out of a city or can be that humble and allow himself to be crucified so the same thing these ten kings will think they're doing you know and the devil will think they're doing a great job they're destroying the church they're ruling the world but then it's going to end up to be an eternal battle and they're going to destroy each other does the devil has power over us? no devil can tempt us I don't have power. Is every temptation by God's permission? Or no? No. I mean, God allows things to happen, yes. But yeah, if I go by my own will, right, to commit sin, that's not God's permission. That's my will. God's will is not going to force my will to change. Here's, here's something else. Think about it this way. You know St. James and St. Jude who wrote letters in the gospel? Who are they? They're Jesus' relatives, right? Did they believe in him before? No, they did not. They did not believe in him when he was alive. Maybe. Maybe, you know, but for for the majority we did not hear about them as being, you know, one of the twelve disciples. But later on they believed and became. The, you know, St. James became the head of the church. Okay? Uh, Jude is apocryphal? No, no. no. The letter of Jude. Jude, you know, uh, left side. But why God, does God do that? Why doesn't He... He has the authority to change our hearts, right? Why doesn't He do that? And save us the headache and save us, you know, the struggle and make life wonderful for us. Same if I realize it myself. Exactly. You want a person to love you, right? Let's say you want a person to, you know, a girl to love you. you know. If you can force her to love you, you're not going to feel, you know, feel like you have a magic wand. And it's not, you're not going to feel, it's not going to be the same as if she, out of her own will, likes you for who you are and really loves you. Because that's what's really going to last. At the time of trouble, Right? You made me love you. You made me get married to you. Right? Whether it was your money or well, you know your power or whatever, you made me do that. So, but I really don't, you know didn't want to. You forced me to. But if you really, you know, follow God from all your heart because you really love Him, and it comes from own personal will and own personal desire, that's completely different. And then just God can can just make us all love Him just like that. He doesn't want to do that. Because it's not, as you said, it's not the same. Okay. So these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and they will eat her flesh and burn with fire. Right. We don't know what this is. This might be part of the big battle of Armageddon. Armageddon, we don't know. Uh, for God gave into their hearts to do His mind. Right? His mind. God's mind. Right? And to act with one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. Again, a lot of times we think that the devil is winning. 
You might as well give up. But this is, everything is happening in the world according to a master plan from heaven. And things are going to escalate up to a level and then stop. Right? So always keep this in your mind. Always keep this in mind. God is in full control and full power. It's not Mr. Fulan or it's not President Fulan or it's not, you know, Ayatollah or, you know, one of those guys. No. God is in full power. And he lets... It's like, you know, the the marionette player, right? See the marionettes jumping up and down, but there's one who's moving them as he wants. He allows everyone to to act, to grow, and to fight, and to rule, and to do whatever, but within prescribed limits. He cannot step up those limits. And the woman whom you saw is the great city which has a kingdom over the kings of the earth. Has a kingdom over the kings of the earth because of course when the devil gives us favors he rules over us. Chapter 18 is very simple and we can go through it quickly. So let me read through it. And if we have a question we're going to stop and address it. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great authority. And the earth was lighted up from his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen. Again, it's repeated twice here because that's an indication. It's a decision. It's a final decision and it's going to happen. There's no second thoughts here. And it has become the dwelling place of demons and the prison of every unclean spirit and the cage of every unclean bird which has been hated. This is is an awful description, right? Imagine a wonderful city that you know everybody flocks to because of the parties. About earth, yes, and about that place which was the core of sin in the world. Maybe you know, maybe I'm being over, you know. Zealot here, but uh, take it with, take what I'm going to say with a grain of salt because that's my personal opinion. Right? We all knew what used to happen in New Orleans with Mardi Gras and so on, and all the what used to happen in Bourbon Street and the filth and the awful stuff there. Very bad, very bad things to all live. Right? After it was destroyed, could that be a description of it? It was so horrible, smelly you know, disgusting, unclean, nobody can live in it for a period. Imagine that happening on the larger scale of cities that are more involved in sin. Places more involved in sin, whether spiritual or physical or whatever. Imagine the same thing. We saw examples in our own lifetime, so we can't blame God that He didn't explain to us. Because of the wine of the anger of her fornication which all the nations have drunk and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her again that means that means what the kings of the earth followed her followed her guidance allied with her and left God they are no longer following God they are no longer listening to God but they are only following Babylon and the words of Babylon 
So imagine, for example, if a country or a city wants to have trade and put certain rules and certain restrictions on the people they trade with. You want to trade with us? You have to do this, you have to allow this, you have to have these kind of rights for your minorities, for your gays and for your lesbians and for this and abortion. You have to allow all these things because that's, that's how we rule. Yeah, and we need the money. We'll do whatever you want. And the merchants of the earth became rich from the power of her luxury. Luxury. That's the key word of today's life, right? Luxury. It's not, imagine, it's not enough to live. You have to live in luxury. You have to travel in luxury. Everything is luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her. Now here's the key message for us. Come out of her, my people that you may not be partakers of her sins, and that you may not receive of her plagues. For her sins join together even up to heaven, and God has remembered her unjust deeds. Now, what does it mean, come out of her? Should we just pack, you know, live in a you know mobile car, and go somewhere in the desert and live there? They want us. They want to do that. No, they said. They said they meant the church to come out of the church. That's Why? Because the church is the ba- is is, the is Babylon. Became, it's not. It's not a. It's not as good as it was before. And it's saying it's it's it's, it's no more. It's more. It's no more obeying the, the rules of God. It's not following God's rules. But I don't know if you listen to it, Brother Campin, uh, on the radio. I don't listen to these things. But let me tell you something. The first step the devil wants to do is isolate us from the church. That's the first step. Because he knows that if we stick together, if we stay together in the church, we're going to strengthen each other. We're going to help each other not fall into sin. Even if we all limp together, but we're going to limp on each other and help each other so we can be able to walk. But when he isolates you, outside the church now he can put whatever ideas into your head or he can control you know and you know let you give him your will and your idea your mind and your thoughts so he can plan whatever he wants that that's right? not the church God is not asking us to leave the church but what about some of these bad churches in the world we're not in this church we're in the Coptic Orthodox Church we're talking about the Orthodox Church but should they leave those churches? The they, should go, they should go back and seek God in the, in the canonical churches I mean if there's a problem for example, let's say for example today there's a problem in the Catholic Church shut down the Catholic Church? no we saw in chapters 2 and 3 the churches that had many sins and God tells them Repent, and he gives them the prescription of repentance. Every church is going to have a problem. Do you think our church doesn't have a problem? Are we all perfect? Of course not. But it's the closest church to heaven. It's the closest church to the original doctrine we have received. It doesn't mean that we act as humans in the church, we act as perfect people. I might be giving you a message today that you know I read and you know collected and giving to you. If I cannot live by it, it doesn't mean that the message I'm delivering is wrong. I am wrong. Not the message that I'm carrying to you from the teachings of the Father. 
we have to distinguish between that. So if, let's say for example, we find today that the Pope is doing something wrong, or the Bishop is doing something wrong. Does that mean the whole church is wrong? No. The twelve disciples that Jesus had, one betrayed him, one denied him, nine ran away, and the twelve were fighting together, who becomes the first? Does that mean all the disciples are bad? No. On the contrary, they are saints, but they are humans. The teaching they gave us, does that mean the teaching they gave us is wrong? Because they fell into sin? Because Paul and Barnabas had a, you know, an argument together and they separated from the service, so we shouldn't listen to Paul? Shouldn't read his you know, you know, letters? No. That's what, see, that's approach that tells you, oh, get out of the church, you know, everybody's evil. Go on your own, that's a devil's approach. So first. Very good. Come out of her. Come out of what? Come out of Babylon. Come out of the world. Again, when God, when Christ was praying in the paraclete prayer, you know, the, the last uh, prayer at the end in chapter, you know, in, John, in uh, Gospel of St. John, chapters 15, 16, and 17. His prayer was, I don't ask you to take them from the world, but to protect them from the evil one. I, as an individual, I can live in the world and I can get in, you know, indulge in the world and can live in the luxury and I can worry all my life about the pleasures of the world. What kind of food we're going to eat today? What kind of party? Where we're going to go for the beach? Blah, 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 and forget everything about God. Versus that God is the core focus of my life. Yes, I will have a house. I will have a car. I will work. I will do all these things. But the world is not living in me. Right? If, For example, if there's a flood today and tell me leave everything and go, will I go or will I attach to my house, attach to my furniture? If your car, you know, God forbid, and get wrecked to tomorrow, I can have a nervous breakdown because you lost your car? Are you so attached to this car? Or so what? Car went by, another car, and life goes on. Material possession is not your ultimate goal. Right? Sin is not your the thing you're going after. No, it's God the one that you're going after. Right? That's that's the interpretation of this verse. If you remember in chapter 12, God was saying that He'll take the church, you know, the, the church into a desert, to the desert, to, to, to take care of her. This desert can be, you know, at the end, you know, we said that, you know, maybe it's actually going to happen when the Antichrist is going to come, it's going to be an actual desert that we we'll go to. God calls us to go there. Or it can be simply that I find that this group of people if I hang out with them, I'm going to fall into sin. You know what? I'm going to go away. I'm going to live in a desert. I'm not going to join these group of people. And they'd rather be alone on a Friday evening or a Sunday evening than join these guys and end up committing sin. Right? I'd rather not watch TV if TV is always going to make me sin. Or maybe, you know, have bad thoughts or, you know, put things in front of me that, are, you know, I cannot fight. I'd rather live in a desert. I'll shut off the TV. That's how I get, you know, that's how I don't live in the world. That's why I don't, you know, again, that you may not be partakers 
of her sins. If you and I don't live in the world, how can people know God? If your life and my life and everyone's life in this room doesn't shine to people and doesn't show them what Christianity is all about, how are they going to know Christ? They're not. God is not asking us to be isolated. He's asking us not to be indulged in the world and indulged in the sins of the world. But He doesn't want us to be isolated. Because if if we're isolated... How can people know Christ? How can people know him? Okay, that makes sense. Well, uh, right. come out of her, my people, that you may not be partakers of her of her sins, and that you may not receive of her plagues. Okay, so sin bring plagues. Homosexuality and you know free sex brings AIDS. In the seventeen, they talked about uh, locusts. Is that no? That's twelve. The episode is nine. Yeah. Nine, chapter nine. Because I, I remember the plague of locusts. Right we talked about that, you know, a while back, and you know, can go back and talk about it later on. But uh, I'll give you the the audio stuff. For her sins joined together, even up to heaven. Can you imagine the amount of sin that, you know, if it's piled together, go all the way up to heaven? Huge amount, right? And God has remembered her unjust deeds. Well, he was waiting for, 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 you know, for repentance, and he was waiting for people to ask for forgiveness. But when they don't, time to give an account for everything that you have done. Remember the parable of the vineyard? that the rich man had a vineyard and he sent to get revenue out of this vineyard so the people responsible for the vineyard beat up the you know messengers and so on and then at the end he sent his son and they killed him so he went by himself and told them you know kick them out and killed them and took care of his vineyard it's the same thing here God keeps sending and asking for repentance and you know reminding people come and repent come back to me and so on and if we're ignoring him at the end he's going to come and hold us accountable for everything we have done reward her as she has rewarded you and double to her double ow so a lot of times when we do good things we find bad things happening to us right it's not one to one it's not you know even when you do one thing people do a lot of bad things for you. So God is going to reward them or punish them double their double. So whatever they have doubled us, God is going to give them more. According to her works in the cup which she has, she has, she mixed, mixed double to her. As much as she glorified herself and has lived in luxury, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow. And I do not see mourning at all. And this is what Satan always wants us to think. No matter how sorrow our situation is, no matter how much torment we, you know, we have, he wants us to think. I'm a queen or a king. I'm not a widow. I have somebody who takes care of me. 
there's nothing sad, nothing wrong in the world. Everything is nice, everything is wonderful, and all these happy themes that they put around us, you know. Don't worry, be happy, and you know, all these wonderful things. Sure. See what says for her sins joined together. Yes. Why he picked up her? Because we said that Babylon represents the bride, the bride, you know, the, the bride of the devil. There are two brides and two grooms in the in the Bible and in Book of Revelation in particular. There's Christ as a groom and the church as a bride, his wife. And we're going to see next chapter is the wedding. Finally, so far we're engaged, we're betrothed, all these things in the Old Testament and New Testament. And finally, the wedding takes place, the wedding of the Lamb at the end. After the second coming. So that's next chapter, God's will. The other couple, the devil and his wife or his you know, bride, uh, Babylon, which is the city of sin, wherever that is, not necessarily in Iraq, but everywhere in the world where sin is and where the, you know, pride and arrogance and you know, rebellion to God, this is what Babylon is. That's why it's presented by her. And in chapter 17, it was a harlot. God actually called her a harlot. So she was a woman. She presented her by a woman. That's why he's saying here, her sin, Babylon's sin, because we're still continuing here about explaining why Babylon was destroyed. And if we go back to the beginning of the chapter, uh, saying Babylon the Great has fallen, has fallen. So all here is reference to Babylon, okay, the bride of the devil. So again, the devil here, the devil wants us to think that no problem, right? whatever you want, no problem. You're in full control, but in reality, it's not. It's sorrow, torment, and grief. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be consumed with fire. For the Lord who judge, judges her is strong, right? and the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived in luxury with her, will weep for her and will wear over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Some people thought that this, you know, 9-11, this represents 9-11, but not, I don't think so. This, this explains a lot more severe situation than what happened. Can 9-11 be an indication? Maybe. And... I remember, for example, you know, some people saying that, uh, again, in Amsterdam in particular, there was a, an area for adultery. And what the area was burned by an accident, everybody regretted, you know, what happened. Oh, too bad, whatever. Yeah, go back, same thing with Bourbon Street and all this. People lamented the destruction of New Orleans and uh, uh, the awful areas that were there. And... Uh, the Mardi Gras that they used to hold with all the sin that were associated with it. But not to the full swing yet. But yeah, but this is, you know what? This is exactly what the book of Revelation is talking about. Instead of them repenting, yeah. they go back and they blame the God of heaven. Right. Right? 
They don't see that as a message for themselves to fix themselves. No, they go back, as you said, they're back in business. Guess what's going to happen next? Again, God does not take, cannot stand sin, cannot stand filth. So it's going, you know, are we in for more trouble? Yes. The more we, you know, I'm not talking about a country. I'm not talking about a, you know, a nation or a world or whatever. But even on individual level, more I, you know, continue in the wrong path, the more you know, God is not going to tolerate that and going to send me warnings and punishments so I can repent and go back. Right? Happens to nations. Happens to the world. Happens to everyone. Yes. Standing afar of, for fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe to the great city Babylon, that strong city, for in one hour your judgment came. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their, excuse me, for no one that buys their cargo anymore. The cargo of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and pearl and silk and scarlet and all thigh and wood and every ivory vessel and every vessel of very precious woods and of bronze and iron and of marble and cinnamon and incense and ointment and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. So this is almost all types of trade. But guess what else they trade in? Slaves and souls of men. How do they do that? Promoting sin. By drugs, by alcohol, by again, by, you know, uh, (laughs) pornography on the internet, by, you know, child abuse, by all these things. By promoting, you know, wrong ideas, by... Promoting the uh, heresies and you know false religions, maybe. Right, but he puts everything. He puts all kind of uh, trade there, and we can go through each one of them, you know, and look at it. But, you know, because of the time, we're not going to do that. But again, the worst thing is. They trade in cargo of gold and silver the same way they trade in slaves and souls of men. And the world saw this at different times when you know the slaves used to be shipped from Africa to the States and so on. They were they were treated as cargo. They were treated as horses and as sheep and as a beast and you know as anything. So the world saw this type you know this period. Is it going to come back again? Maybe. Does this describe that period of you know of history? Maybe. Right. And the fruits of the lust of your soul have departed from you, and all the fat things and the bright things departed from you, and you will find them no more, not at all. When when people indulge into certain things, and then they you know taken away from them. Look at all the bad things that cause sin, whether it's, you know, like for even smoking cigarettes, you know, drugs or whatever. Withdrawal is really bad. Right? When somebody, you know, suffers withdrawal or like, you know, didn't smoke a cigarette for whatever, exceeds their limit, they become so irritable, so uncontrolled and, you know, they'll do whatever. 
to get a cigarette. Drugs becomes worse. So, and you will find them no more, not at all. The merchants of these things who were made rich by her will stand afar off because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning. So again, people who trade in sin, they're not going to get come in to help people who are falling. And saying, woe, woe to the great city which has clothed in linen and purple and scarlet. You know, again, signs of royal and... Uh, the king's clothes, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches was desolate, and every ship pilot and all the company on the ships and sailors and as many as work of the sea, work the sea, stood far off. So will that mean that, for example, this is a city that has a harbor and is going to be destroyed and nobody will be able to come close and you know save her? because of the smoke of her burning as next uh, verse says and they cried out seeing the smoke of her burning saying what is like the great city it's going to be like you know nuclear war whatever and big destruction sin destroys itself at the end sin destroys itself in one hour she was ruined I guess that speaks of something like a, maybe a major earthquake or a nuclear <laughs> disaster. I mean, in one hour that will cause great damage. If one hour is to be taken literally, but but it can maybe maybe truly at the end of the day because again the war of uh, Armageddon and all these things maybe they're all related and this maybe this war will be very short right. and at the end it will be left you know destroyed. Like for example, look at Baghdad today. Baghdad mm-hmm. used to be a very fancy place. You know we have people. In Egypt, we used to go to work in Iraq to make lots of money and come back. Right. After the war, people, you know, who used to see, you know Baghdad, they, you know, they said, "Wow, the great city became like that." Imagine, for example, uh, a nuclear bomb in London, or whatever. Or, or forget about that. Right. Uh, a, pl- a country that becomes so poor and so desperate that it becomes a ruin by itself. Right. Abandoned, desolate, you know. A lot of this happened in history. But again, the end days are going to be hard. Yes, they're going to be hard. Re- look, the people of the world are all lamenting and all saying, whoa, whoa, and look at the heaven. Rejoice over her, heaven, the, the holy apostles, and the prophets, since God judged your judgment on her. And one strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it on into the sea, saying, So, on an impulse, the great city Babylon will be thrown down and not at all will be found anymore. So this is at the end of the word. And again, this is the destruction of Babylon. And the voice of the harpers and the musicians and flutists and trumpeters will be heard no more at all in you. And every craftsman and every and any craft will not be found anymore in you. And the sound of mill will never more be heard at all in you. And the light of the lamp will never more shine at all in you. Why I keep saying in you, in you, in you? And the voice of the bridegroom of the bride will never more be heard at all in you. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. For 
for by your sorceries all nations were deceived and in her in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all those who were slain on the earth why in you in you in you Wasn't the blood covering her before? Why is it in her now? Because she drank a lot of it. She was covered with, you know, yes, she was riding on a scarlet beast, but she was drinking the cup of filled with blood of the saints. I think in you, the, the repetition of in you. So we take it on a personal level that if we are like Babylon, this is a warning, you know, a reminder for us. It's not, the speech is not to a distant, you know, place or distant person. It's not going to happen to somebody else. This will happen to me if I am this Babylon person. Well, you in English is both singular and plural. In That's Greek... Correct. Is, is that you? I mean, that distinction is more clear in, in the Greek language. Well, let me see. You know, like would it be the equivalent the. of Arabic enta or entum? No, I think yes, it's the. It's the. Uh, thine own thou thy. Okay. It's all in the. If you look at the Arabic. Okay, so it's singular. Yeah, but it's, it's you know singular, singular, but it's, uh, it's uh, like it's all the. All right. So I'm not sure what this is. This is. Uh, I think it's just to remind us that if we become another Babylon on a personal scale. Again, the light of a lamp, you can look at that as a spiritual, in a spiritual sense, that you know, this is the believers. Uh, the voice of the bridegroom, of the bride, that's Christ's voice, right? Will never more be heard at all. So no more opportunity of repentance. No more opportunity of hearing God's word and being comfortable with God, you know, word in us. So it's a warning for us that we don't get to the, shape, you know, the state of Babylon. So we don't fall into that. Okay, any questions on these two chapters? Uh, the millennial reign, is that something that will be... Is yes. that something that will come up later? Yeah, in if chapter that's 20. that's the case, then I'll hold off the question. Yeah, that. in chapter 20. Yeah, I think we're going to have a big full discussion on the millennial reign. Because mm-hmm. okay. I think it's very important, especially these days. Any other question? Okay. Thanks. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Yeah.